good to welcome you and one another. Glad you're, glad you're able to be here. So this is week four, as I said, and uh, I'm going to ask Mel Sanders if she'd like to come and just open our time together by praying. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we could come together again tonight. And we pray tonight for your presence to be with us, Lord, that your words will be in our mind and in our hearts, Lord. We thank you that you speak to us through your word and we pray that you will speak to us tonight through the words and the teaching that John has prepared for us. Thank you, dear Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mel. Really appreciate that. Thank you. By the way, anybody like to volunteer to pray at the beginning of our time next week? Volunteer? Well, we'll find one by the end of the night, don't worry. (laughs) Okay, Neville, it's you. Great, thanks for that. Well, this week, um, we're going to look in a moment or two at um, choosing a translation of the scriptures to work with. But before we get there, uh, Heather and I, because we were in town and doing some other things, went to a place called Kurong on Monday. Anybody been to Kurong lately? <laughs> Come out with lighter pockets and heavier loads. Is that right? It's always, it's always a challenge. But one of the things I, I did want to look at um, some of the, the, the books that are out there on our theme of reading and understanding the scriptures. And because some of the uh, recommended ones that we've been looking at are great, um, but I wanted to look and see what's sort of up to date and, um, or a bit more modern. So if you're going to go Kurong Way, we'll just do this pretty quickly. I saw advertised in their catalogue 30 days to understand the Bible. I thought, man, that's a pretty good deal. If I can nail it in 30 days, that would be great. I can, I'm only holding up the, the titles. I can't say that I can recommend them because I've only glanced at the pages. But that looks quite interesting, quite good. I think, I think. Uh, That's by Max Anders. There's one here by Vaughan Roberts called God's Big Picture. These are sort of tracing the storyline of the scriptures, how it's all put together. There's one here, this is not a bad little book by the look of it. It's called God's Dangerous Book. And it's not that dangerous because it's only $3.99. So um, that might be worth having a look at. And on the same price level, there's another one called uh, how to study the Bible. On the back it says, you know you need to know here's how. All for the price of $3.99 and not too many pages. So there's, there's actually quite a lot of sections. I was quite amazed. It's a long time since I've uh, sort of been to Kurong. I tend to like to stay away um, simply because it's more help financially. But um, I was amazed. There is quite a lot of new books out. So worth worth having a look at. The one book that I, I, this is an old one and it's probably updated, I didn't actually look at the uh, copy in Kurong because I already own this, but how to read the Bible for all it's worth. It, I really think if you can get hold of that, uh, you would be really, really blessed. Um, it's a great book. Uh, I first got it, I write in the front of my books when I bought them. This is in 1990, so that's a fair while ago and they've, they would have done updates, I'm certain. I what's that, what's, when was that updated by? 
You've been there. Oh, look at that. It's twice the thickness. It's got to be better. Bigger writing. Oh, that's fantastic. Well done. We'll have to give a book review next week. Okay, but if, I really want to encourage you to, uh, to get hold of that book for yourselves or for your family. You'll go back to it time and time again. Um, if you're going to prepare a Bible study or something like that, you decide to do something out of one of the, the epistles that Paul wrote, um, you go there and have a look at the section. What's, what's he say or what's they say about it? So we've said it again and again, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Okay, so that's a little bit of a blurb and it's out the road. Um, how'd you go with your memory work? Okay, here's the Did anybody, has anybody nailed the first, the first uh, memory scripture? Which one? Anybody, anybody willing to have a go at it? <laughs> Nobody willing to have a go? Anybody willing to have a crack at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17? Anybody? Any takers? Okay. But I'll have All right. But if you could stand and deliver, okay, let's let's give our attention over here, folks. All nice and quiet. Good job. A big, big hand. And uh, j- here's an encouragement award for you. Uh, there you go. See, I told you it'd be worth learning them. Uh, anybody learned uh, Hebrews 4.12? Okay, then. If we haven't learnt that one, let's have a crack at it together. Let's stand over here. Okay, Anne. Well done. Okay, let's stand, folks. We're going to do the third one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. All right, if I say it to you, can you say it back to me? Yes? Everybody said amen, I agree. Good. Okay. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for no, no prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the New International Version of 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Okay, let's hear it. Good job. Okay, now you pair up, say it backwards and forwards to one another, and if you can do it without looking, so much the better. (laughs) 
Well, thanks for having a, having a try at that. That's great. Well done. Let's see how we go for that over the next couple of weeks and see if we can get the three of them nailed away. Some of us probably know them. I at least know where they are in the Bible. <laughs> Can't say that I always get it word perfect. Okay. Tonight we want to uh, talk together for a while about um, choosing the type of Bible that we're going to use uh, in our lives and for study purposes, or maybe for reading purposes. Um, so let's start by saying or asking the question, um, or just perhaps before we even go there, um, to talk about around the room, what type of Bibles do we read? What are the translations that we read? Okay, so we've got to hear it over here. English Standard Version. Yep. And you said it's your... Okay, so how long have you been reading the English Standard Version? Probably about four years. Okay, very good. Anybody else want to share what they read? What they? When I tend to, I've, I've got my good old fashioned good news, you know, but that's for me. Yep, okay. Well, NIV. NIV, long time reader of. Okay. Before that, the King James. Who's read the King James version from cover to cover? I have. A few of us. I, that was one of the first Bibles I got when I got serious about all this stuff. And I, I looked, picked it up one day years later and I thought, how do I read all that? <laughs> the these and thous and begats and my goodness. It was probably out of date when it was written, but that may be another story and I could be wrong. Okay, anybody else? NIV? NIVs? Anybody over this table? The ESV? The ESV has become very popular. Good. Why, why do you... <laughs> I don't know whether they heard that over here. No. You'll have to speak to Judy afterwards. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Andy. New King the New King James. Okay. And you've got a study Bible. Spirit a spirit-filled Bible. And you're spirit-filled New King James. Oh, well. <laughs> well. Okay. Um... Can I ask you why there's just so many translations available today, um, not only in paper form. A lot of people still love reading from the, from the paper form because you get familiar with it and you know where things are in your Bible and stuff like that and you write in them. I, I trust people aren't afraid to write in their Bibles. Right? I mean, really, it's just, it's just the book. That's what it is. <laughs> You've got an encyclopedia there. So, so that's all good, but um, what, what are the issues involved in actually choosing what we're going to read in today's age? We've got this wealth, a plethora of stuff available to us. 
So what, for you, what are some of the issues that helped you form your thinking around, I'm going to use this kind of Bible, this translation? Anybody want to say anything? Okay, that's that's helpful because a lot of a lot of the language in the scriptures is poetry, and uh, so if you in, I've got to get your names. It was Sarah, that's right. I remembered. Um, a lot of it helps us understand that poetry. So in it, often we'll choose the Bible because we can read the thing. It's easier to read. Gee. Yep. Because then it just sounds like it's a door where you can listen to and just chug along with it. Okay. Yep. So, so readability is an important thing. For, for years there was a lot of mystery around the scripture, wasn't there, in terms of, you know, it was a black book, it was a holy book, it probably had a cross on the cover and all sorts of things. And for a lot of people approached it a little like that. But it's just meant to be read. Um, okay. Any other ideas? Nigel. I was probably influenced early on by, by a fairly literal um, uh, idea of the Bible, which, which I appreciate and still, still based as much as possible that they use the same words and the same concepts. Okay. Yep. So the basics of translation are coming into what you're saying there as to how we actually get what we get into our hands to read, whether it is a so-called free uh, paraphrase um, or a, a more strictly literal translation. There's some versions that will say, look, they'll consistently use special favour instead of the word grace. Yep. Just to throw out that. It's yep. consistent. At least it's consistent. Yes. But it's not the word grace. So, you know, if you only read that, you'd be like, well, what's this grace word? Correct. There, and there are some arguments around the place about those sorts of words, grace or the big heavy words like justification, sanctification, propitiation... Very few Bibles use propitiation these days in First John and places like that, which in a way is a pity, but there you go. So the, people, they, the translators make choices, and we're going to come to that in a second. Okay, so let's just talk about it there in terms of um, we want to choose a Bible that we're going to use for some deeper study, okay? So we've done a fair bit around reading, meditation, memorising, but now's the task. We want to, we want to go a little deeper, I would have thought that one of the first things is, for me, is that I want to work with a translation that I know is reliable. It's, it's as close as possible it can be accurate to the original text, which is what you're talking about there, I think, Nigel, if I don't want to uh, paraphrase you wrongly. Um, but I want, to, I want to sort of get in the English translation to what the writer was originally saying, teaching or meaning uh, to convey. Um, um, I want to hear what the Bible, given that it is God's word, I want to hear what that word written and living for, uh, is now living, a live, it's a living word, but I want to hear what it's saying to me. That's important. Um, and sometimes there can be stretches to get idiom and things like that into the translation uh, and it might be a little step away. So for study purposes, I, I want something like that. Um, I also think that a good text is helpful in our devotional study. Um, I'm not sure in our world that we are always served well by 
everything that we look at being dumbed down. Do you know what I'm saying by that? We want to kind of make it acceptable or palatable or simple. Um, there's nothing wrong with that at all because we need that and sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll gain an insight for something like that. But sometimes we have to wrestle a bit, we have to struggle. Does that make sense? You, you, you don't have to agree with me. But, but sometimes the wrestling, even in our devotional life, is not a bad thing. Right? So and I might be reading a devotional thing and, and I read, you know, First uh, John chapter 2, you know, um, that talks about um, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And I might pull that up and say, what, what's he talking about when he says propitiation? And there's a whole history behind that word, or some would translate it expiation, or some would translate it atoning sacrifice. But it makes me work a bit. And even in my devotional reading, sometimes that is not a bad thing to do. Correct? I hope. Okay, so it's already been raised in our talking together. There's the issue of translation. All the Bibles that we have, that's our English text Bibles, are translations. It's also true to say that all the Bibles in the world that are for non-English speaking people, the nations of the world are all translations as well. They come from original Greek, Aramaic and Hebrew texts. So what we have when we open our Bibles, blessed people that we are, to open our Protestant Bibles, there are 66 books in that. If you have a Catholic Bible, there's a thing called the Apocrypha in there, which I won't go into now for sake of time, but they include that in their texts. But we are incredibly um, privileged to have those texts in our hands. True? And it, it, it does us well. Sometimes I have to remind myself, don't forget, there's a huge population in this world that do not read English. And all comes back from... Um, um, the original text. The Bible was written in three languages, um, according to Fee and Stewart. Hebrew, of course, Aramaic, half of Daniel and two passages in Ezra, and the New Testament's written in Greek. I'm thankful that in college I didn't have to learn Aramaic. It was tough enough learning Greek and Hebrew. Um, the actual Greek that, is, that our New Testament is is what's called Koine Greek, and it just simply means common Greek. So it wasn't the classical... The New Testament's not written in classical Greek language. It's written in everyday common Greek language. It's a little bit like the English of today in a way. I'm not making a direct comparison there, but it's, it's a little bit like that. It was in the language that the people understood. Here's an interesting thing. God always makes sure people can hear him in the vernacular. And I've, my observation of reading around revival and things like that is that when God does stuff, when he starts to move, he's always speaking to his people in the language that they understand. And that's true for us too, isn't it? In a way. So the translators of our scriptures have already made a decision about how they will give us that word. Um, Fian and uh, Stuart say... The very fact that you are reading God's word in translation means that you are already involved in interpretation and this is so whether one likes it or not. So you're already reading a translation. And I, I, I think I read somewhere, somebody was saying, might have even been these gentlemen, that the translators have come to the zenith or the end of their work and you're just beginning on yours. 
which is rather interesting. But um, One of the things that I use as a sort of a guideline in, in the description I want to read, I want to know whether it's been translated by a group of scholars or a big team of scholars, how long do they take to do it, um, versus one person who gives me their translation and how that comes to me. I'm more comfortable personally with the big team and I don't care whether they take three years to argue over where a, a dot or a comma or a, uh, a conjunction is in the text because that's really important. Those, those men and women are, are incredibly uh, uh, scholarly, brainy people and they work very hard on that stuff. So that's one of the things. Um, and Fee and, and, and um, Stuart say it should be noted here that for most part translators work from Hebrew and Greek text or Greek and Hebrew text edited by careful, rigorous scholarship. So that means for the New Testament this means that the best text has already been determined by scholars who are experts in this field. I think it's a reasonably important thing. The problem too with, with, uh, with our translations is there is the matter of interpretation. And as much as I'd like to say that the first time I read the Bible, I read it without bias, I'd be telling you an untruth. All of us approach the scriptures with a bias. It can be pro, it can be negative. It's just, just the fact of what it is um, can do that. We approach most things in life with a bias or a prejudice, actually. And it takes a fair bit to shake that out of our systems at times, true? And um, so... You know, it's, it's affected by our culture, history, language, all that sort of stuff. Okay, we've got to move on for sake of time. The main fact is, according to Peter Nickel in his notes, and I encourage you to, to look at his notes, so they are very thorough and very helpful. There's the literal sort of basic word-for-word -word translation. Sometimes they're a bit wooden. They don't read well, but for study they can be quite helpful. Um, the ESV, the, NA, the NASB... The ESV reads reasonably well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, they updated the New American Standard Bible a few years back and they got rid of the these and thous and things in the Psalms and other places, which was helpful. Um, but that's a, they're fairly wooden, but they are literal, so you get a pretty good idea this is what the, the, the original text was saying. The other one they talk about is a dynamic equivalence, which is thought for thought. Uh, to quote Fee and Stuart again, to a, the attempt to translate words, idioms and grammatical constructions of the original language in precise equivalence in the receptor language. Such a translation keeps historical distance on all historical and most factual matters, but updates matters of language, grammar and style. So can you get the gist of what's being said there? It's sort of, they'll get it, it's, it's close to the original, but it, it will move in some areas so that we get what's being said. Okay? Uh, and then, of course, there are the free paraphrase things like the Living Bible. Um, and I, I'm, I hope I don't tread on too many people's feet when I talk about the message. Um, the message is certainly a translation, but we need to be aware of its limitations. Uh, and why do I say that? I, I have the greatest respect for Eugene Peterson. I've got stack of his books on my bookshelves. I love his work. I love what he's on about pastorally. And I know I, I get... He, he's obviously a brilliant scholar, so I have no issues with that. But there's a fair bit of idiom in the message which comes from North America. True? So depending how you live with that, 
for, for some of the things I read, I don't understand what he's saying there, actually, because it's way out of my, my area. A few, uh, a few years ago, um, I think it was, I can't remember the name of the gentleman now, but the, the, um, the Bible Society brought out a, an Australian translation with the same sort of idea in mind, that some of the things were put out in Australian idiom. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but it's not, it's, not, um, it's not one that you'd want to use for a heavy study Bible. But great, as Judy was talking about, you know, you're reading it, you're in a group and somebody reads it, and say, oh, yeah, that's great. Um, uh, one, of, one of the messages, uh, translations on uh, Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 20 about spiritual warfare is excellent. Um, you know, he, he, I think he starts with, we're not here for a picnic. Well, we're not, are we? But that's not quite what Paul had in mind, I don't think. Um, so anyway, that's, that's all of that. So where do we end up? Well, um, you can push back on me. I'm happy with whatever. Um, for, for your study purposes, the New International Version's pretty good. The ESV has sort of taken a lot of the place of the NIV. The ESV is good. Uh, the old New American Standard or updated New American Standard, the New Revised. For reading, New, International, uh, New English Bible... Uh, a lot of the others that have been men- mentioned, uh, the New Living Translation, I find that really quite a good translation, actually. Um, so, at the end of the day, it comes down to what you're going to choose for yourself, yeah? But if you bear in mind some of the things around uh, what you're looking at when you're actually trying to study the text in detail, that's fairly important. At some point, you need to co- get at least one translation be it a wooden, literal sort of approach, at least that you get back to that and you're lining up reasonably parallel to the text. doesn't always work. Okay, you happy? Any questions? Yeah, I, in fact, I think I read the Scriptures through last year in the CSB. I don't, I don't mind, it's easily readable. I, I wasn't. Too, I'm not too. I wasn't too fussed about whether it's accurate or whatever. But I didn't find too many places where I thought, "Goodness me, what's going on there?" Um, no, it's a it's a readable one. Yep. I I know it because I see it in all the lists that come up on the electronic Bible list. I I haven't read it. No, I'm, so I really can't comment on. Do you, have you read it, Robin? The Passion Translation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there is. There's all sorts. No, no, I haven't read them, so I can't, can't comment. Just a quick question. I just wonder what, um, take unbelievers have in place. If we came at that question from a slightly different angle, if I, if I was going to give a Bible to a friend who wasn't a Christian, I probably wouldn't give them a King James or uh, a New American, or something like that. I'd probably give them something like the Good News or something that they could read. Because God can still use it, let's face it. He wrote the thing. You look like you're... Yep. That, that's... Yes, no, that's... That's, that's a good response, five seconds. The other, the other thing is, I think, that from the Christian point of view, um, 
the more more difficult thing is to is when Christians are fighting and arguing about which is the only one that God can speak through. That's that's a bigger issue for us to deal with because then they say, look, you can't even you can't even agree about your your holy text. Um, and to me, that would be that would be one thing, Andy. Yep. Yep. Well, I think you've got to, you've got to make personal choices. The principle of study is that you actually want something that is going to be pretty reliable and accurate to the original text. Okay. I'm going to have to move on. Um, what about the KJV? Should you read it or not? Why not? Nothing wrong with reading it. Um, but I, I do think you, we need to be aware that it's probably not the best translation that's available for us today. It's good to have a look at. A lot of people love it. They love the way uh, it renders the Psalms and places like that. And if you're into that sort of stuff, that's great. But you do need to... Well, I guess it's, it is fair to say, not that I'm an expert at all on this, but every translation at some point will have a weakness or won't be exactly what everybody wants. Right? But... Well, I read somewhere once, don't ask me where, but you know, if, you're, if you're reading something and you're a bit concerned about it, that I've just added that in, but if you're reading something, line up a whole lot of translations. If four or five of them out of six say the same thing, you guess, guess what's fairly accurate. If you get one that's way off beam, it's probably way off beam. You can do with that whatever you want to. The King James has lots of places uh, that... Um, are not really, really, uh, really good, but there are translations, well, all of them struggle with something or other. I mean, it depends. See, there's the interpretation issue. Um, the King James Bible is responsible for, um, and I don't wish to be critical here, there are some other translations that use the same word. You're wondering what I'm talking about. In John, John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 16, the King James says, I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may be, abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, etc. Now, they, the King James translators translated the word for the, the Holy Spirit as comforter. And there's nothing wrong with that because the Holy Spirit is one who brings comfort. We'd all agree? Uh, other translations might say one who is an advocate, which, which gives that concept of one who stands for another. Uh, others would say counsellor. Others would say different words. The problem is the word is almost impossible to translate. Do you follow? Um, and um, our understanding of comfort is different from that which the King James translators had in mind. Apparently there's a, a, a famous tapestry somewhere to pick the, the Bayo tapestry, thanks. I knew it was somewhere. Um, but it's a, a tapestry of, of King William and his soldiers. And it's ca the, the caption is, King William comforts his soldiers. And it depicts uh, somebody with a large lance spear type thing prodding his soldiers into battle. Slightly different understanding from what we understand comfort to be. What do we understand comfort? Somebody gets alongside of us and gives us a hug or, you know... Gives us a tissue, true. So here's the problem: the word, the word that is translated in all those different ways, is actually the Greek parakalia, uh, paraclete. We'd say it is. It comes from two Greek words: para, which means alongside, and kalio, which means to call. 
So when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about one who is going to be sent, who's called alongside just like Jesus is, right? So he's the paraclete. Well, that makes no sense to us at all or to, to uh, people who are reading it. But to the, to the original uh, folk who were getting that text of John, it made a lot of sense. Because one, just like Jesus, is going to walk alongside of us. By the way, how incredibly good is that? So the Holy Spirit is just more than a comforter, although he is. Okay. So that's, that's the whole difficult thing. By the way, you can go on the net. I found a couple of good things. Uh, there's a guy called Tim Challies, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S, and he's, he did a thing September the 13th. 2018, that's fairly recent, How to Choose a Bible Translation. And another guy, uh, Daniel B. Wallace, does a thing on, on that. Can I ask you, what, bi- what version of the Bible wouldn't you choose to read as your daily study Bible or devotional Bible? RSV. I'm not going to argue about it. <laughs> this is my choice. I wouldn't choose the New World Translation. Was that? Yeah, so it's 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 a it's a Bible that that particular group of people use for their purposes. But we would say there's parts of that 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 are not square with the with the text, right? So those things you you bear in mind. Okay, you all good with that, Savo? Just about cup of tea time. At the back of Peter Nichols' notes, I uh, I just encourage you to. to have a, a, a good look at this. There will be a time when you're studying the Bible, when, they, when you come to a part, um, and you will, you will say, I don't get this at all, I need some help. Okay? You, have anybody been to that roadblock? Fairly often I am there. Um, so you'll need something uh, by way of a concordance or a Bible dictionary or a Bible atlas or a survey or a history or commentaries, all those sorts of things. I'm not going to repeat what Peter's written there. They're very helpful notes. Um, you, may, you may want to spend a little bit more time thinking about if there's any uh, uh, more up-to-date material, but though what he's said are really good texts that are available for us. Um, and... There are to- a concordance can help you look up a word or a thought in Scripture. Everybody familiar with the concordance? Correct? These days we've got electronic Bible searches. They're incredible. You just whack anything in there and it's there for you. So um, very helpful things. A Bible dictionary you use in the same way as you would uh, an ordinary dictionary. You, want, you look up a word or an article or something. Handbooks to the Bible give you background all that sort of stuff. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to go into that. Except a word on commentaries. Um, don't fear Bible commentaries. There are so many negative comments I've found over time made about commentaries and those people who are writing them. And that, that is unfair in that for the most part, most of these women and men are skilled at their craft. They are scholars. They are already done a lot of hard work before they've written down what they've written. Now, you may not agree with everything they've, they've written or said, but their basic desire is to help you, the reader, understand the text. So when you're looking for a commentary, you're looking for one that's going to go into that sort of area. Somebody who's 
going to help you understand that text. Right? Um, and they range from being very technical, um, highly technical, based on the original text, to, to more expository or uh, application-type things. And, of course, there are plenty in between. One thing about a good commentary, all good commentaries have extensive introductions to the book, the date of the book, the authorship, the theme, the theology, the background and all of that. A good commentary will deal with those issues and mostly they take a bit of waiting through. Um, so if you're going to spend money uh, on buying some of these, these aids or tools to help you in your study of the scripture, um, you probably might pay to talk to somebody about that, talk to your pastor or people who have done a bit of this stuff and say, look, I've only got a certain amount of money to spend. What, what would you think would be helpful? One, vi- one volume Bible commentaries are good. Um, just remember when it was written. If you get Matthew Henry, remember that was a fair while ago when Matthew was writing. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Just a long time back. There's a good series called the NIV Application Commentaries. Has any of you come across the NIV Application? Yep. Helpful. Great, because they deal with, uh, the writers deal with the original text, uh, the background information, and then they, they, they try to bridge the gap between the then and the now. And I found them helpful. They're a bit expensive, although you can get them uh, electronically these days. Um, a re- uh, electronic aids, in addition to Peter's list, I found one a very helpful site's called biblos.com or Bible Hub. Um, and you'll, there's just a plethora of scriptures available uh, there for you um, at the click of a button, really. So they're really helpful. They'll even have an interlinear um, uh, thing there as well. So, yeah, that's, that's quite helpful. Um, So, one thing um, I probably haven't said anything about, what about Hebrew and Greek? What do you, what do, you, uh, what do, you do with that? Because the texts are actually originally in Hebrew and Greek. I've never seen an Aramaic copy of the scripture. Have you seen one of them, Robin, ever? Okay, so you've actually seen, seen one, yep. I'm glad, as I said before, that they didn't ask us to study that as well. But what do you, what do you think about that? People, you hear pastors say, oh, the Greek says such and such, or the Hebrew says whatever, whatever. Um, and that's okay. But what do you think about the Hebrew and Greek? Because they, if we actually want to go back to getting to where it came from, we've got to go back there, yeah? And even then you've got to go back a bit further if you want to in terms of how the Bible came together. What's, what's your response to the fact that what we have is English, but they have been translated for us in Hebrew and in Greek? Very good point. That's good. That's excellent. That's very helpful. Because even if you know the Greek, you've still got to obey what the scriptures say and do what they say. I think D.L. Moody said on one occasion, most Christians are ed- educated beyond their obedience so it doesn't matter whether you read it in Greek or um, Hindustani, you've, it's, it's there for God's actually speaking, yeah? John? Just on the same thing 
Yeah, yeah. But no, it's a good, it's a, it's a good point because, uh, see, I, I, how can I say this? Try and say this the right way. So please forgive me if it doesn't um, get to your ears in the way I'm trying to intend it to. I think if you love language and you are a natural linguist and you want to have a go at Greek or Hebrew, have a crack. But if studying language for you is one of the most painful exercises on the face of the earth, unless you've got a good reason to do it, why would you bother? You can trust the translations, right? There's no doubt if... if, um, The thing is there's no separation between people because you can read and understand a particular language. I'm still trying to understand English. You know what I mean? Um, Andy. Yep. There's so many words. Correct. In Greek. I don't know. I can't remember that one because yep. it's common. But there are several others. Correct. We don't know them. No, we don't. And and I, I remember reading something by uh, um, Warren Wearsby, and yeah, it was Warren Wearsby, uh, his well known um, American uh, expositor, exodus. He said, he said, you know, they often. Had, He'd say to his congregations, um, a Greek green grace would have understand or, or the text like this. So the, it, it obviously helps us understand it if we had that, that level. But my, my point is, have a go if you want to, or even if, you, if you're not good at language and you want to have a go, you do, can, but don't stress over it. Um, because the, the commentaries are helpful. I'm like Robin, I had to learn Greek and Hebrew. Um, I am certainly not, not a scholar in this areas at all. I decided if I had to trust my Hebrew or Greek, I would become a heretic because I wouldn't understand it correctly, so I'm far safer looking at trusted commentary. I love that, I love that comment because I, I, I've never had a lot of self-confidence in those areas. So I don't mind reading the commentaries that can be, because it's very easy to do what Robin was talking about. You know, you can build a theology on one or two words... But there are understandings, so it's, it, it's just something you want to think about. Some, some people just love language and they love studying and they adore it. So don't be afraid of it either because there are lots of... Um, I don't know about Robin, but I had to pass... We had to pass it, otherwise they wouldn't ordain us, so it was as simple as that. Uh, that was Sweaty Palms Day, the first lesson in Greek, I can tell you. It's the most scary thing I'd done for years. Um, but it's very different if you, than, you know, finding somebody who can teach you or classes that the Theo Colleges could run or whatever. One more comment and then it's time for a break. Yes. Yeah, it can be very helpful. And a lot of it is around the tenses of verbs and our understanding of English past, present and future and the Greek way it brings those, some of those things out. Like... like uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.17, if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come, right? Now, that, that's just full of tenses in Greek which just blow your mind. If anybody is in Christ, the old has passed away, the tense there is once and for all, all that old stuff that belonged to you before you met Jesus and he came into your life, every bit of that is gone. So sometimes when you sit down and you meditate on that and think about it, I can speak for myself not speaking for you at all. 
I just speak for myself, I am so glad that all that stuff is gone. And God's not going to bring it up to me ever, here, or when I meet him face to face. Not ever. It's gone. The Bible says it's gone once and for all. Now, in the English it says the new has come, which is fine in the, in the Greek sort of understanding of that. The tense is the Greek has come once and for all, but the effects of it keep on coming into our lives. So there's a concept that not quite there unless you know, we have some background in it. But what that means is the new life has been poured out once and for all, but every day there's a freshness and a power in that. And that's, so the, the Greek greengrocer reading that text would have, would have got that straight away or um, whoever she was as she read that text in Greek or had it explained was saying that is just mind-blowing stuff. So there are lots of treasures like that in, in the Greek. But I quite clearly want to tell you I'm not a Greek scholar. It's been, in a way, a sadness in my life because I wish I could have you know, found the study of language easier. I know enough, but I don't want to get too smart on it because I just <laughs> would rather not. All right. So... Choose a translation that works for you and go and get a cup of coffee and tea. And if we can make it, we've gone a few minutes over time on this little section. So I want to try and round us up by about 25 to 9 cups of tea, cups of coffee. Bring them to the table. I'll tell you what we're going to go and do then. Have fun. It is a good evening. <laughs> if you can grab your cuppa as quickly as possible. Or in the process of... Um, getting your drink. Okay, so please keep on grabbing your tea or coffee, but let me just say what we want to do in the next little while, uh, particularly so you're not listening to my voice all the time. I'd like you to find the book of Philemon. Some people call it Philemon, which seems to be a more uh, different kind of way of saying it. The book of Philemon, if it's any help to you, it's page 1,053. <coughs> Sorry? 1,288? 1,288. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'd like you to do, folks. Are we ready to go? Everybody's got it, which is great. What I'd like you to do is just, for the next few minutes of your life, I'd like you to read that book and have a little think about how you would study it. I've written a, in, some rough instructions in the notes. For about 10 minutes on your own, have a look at that, that very, very short book. We could have, this is only for the purposes of an introductory exercise, right? And I know it is, uh, it is um, ludicrous in the sense of the artificiality of it all. But bear with me and have a go, all right? We could have gone to 3 John or 2 John. But anyway, Philemon will do. I'd like you to read it and have a, have a think about it. What, just uh, what's it saying? Um, all those sort of things. What's the theme, do you think? Uh, are there things that aren't clear to you? And if you've just got just towards the end of your 10 minutes, no more, 
Just write out a, a, a short sentence kind of summary of what you think the book's saying. When you've done that, and I'll just say, time to talk together, spend the next few minutes just sharing around your tables together. about More about uh, the things that's not so much what struck you in the book, but what actually struck you as an exercise. What challenged you? What didn't you know? What, what frustrated you? Those sorts of things. Is that okay? Clear as mud? Good. Can I join your conversations for a moment? This is exciting to hear you guys chewing the fat and sharing and talking together. It's great. I love it. I had a delightful experience in uh, my last last, uh, employment, last job. I worked with a team of of people and a couple of a couple on the team were sort of we were called the mission leadership team, and we met every every week. Um, but on because we lived in different parts of Tasmania, we we met uh, in person in situ on a monthly basis, and we would always spend a good hour or even two hours studying the Word of God and chewing the Word of God over together. It was one of the most delightful experiences of my life, actually, of ministry. Because I learnt so much from my brothers in this particular case. Um, So many insights and ideas and it was great. So it was good to hear people talking about it like that. And when we we try and get ourselves a bit deeper, even more stuff comes up. It's amazing how much we know corporately. So I just chose it because it was short, right? There's no vested interest whatsoever, so I absolutely tell you that up front. And I encourage you to go away and have a crack at doing a little bit more for yourself in this coming week, if you've got the time. It was uh, just in terms of process, anything frustrate you or get at you? Paul's got a lot of front. <laughs> I'll let you take that up with him. <laughs> Uh, who, anybody get uh, frustrated because you didn't have things at your fingertips to tell you when the book was written, what its background was, stuff like that, or did you feel, oh, I know, I know all that, I can just charge in? I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just asking the question. Okay. So you had an NIV study Bible with a bit of background detail. Well, that was helpful, wasn't it? And we just had one question at the end, how did it turn out? Yeah. So, so if you can just imagine for a moment that that was... Say it was the very first time you'd ever... How do I pronounce this word? Is it Philemon? Is it Philemon? Um, I never heard of him ever in my whole life. Imagine what you'd be feeling if you thought, oh, I'll study this a bit more. Because most of us in this room probably got a fair bit of background. Uh, we might not think we do, but we actually do. Jeff Bingham used to say, soaks in by osmosis. And it's true. It's amazing how much soaks in. Because we don't have to necessarily produce it and put it into some sort of documented written form or sermonise out of it or lead a Bible study. It doesn't mean to say that it's not going in. So we probably already had a bit of background about this particular situation. 
Were, were, was there anything else frustrated you or... Yep. Suddenly he's in run. Yep. Is he a runaway slave? Mm-hmm. He was a runaway slave. Yeah, and, and now he's begging to let him come back and forgive him, you know? Yep. And Paul's writing from a strange place. Yeah. He's in prison. And he's old like me. And he's writing to but but did you get was there anything in terms of the themes when you read it through that sort of jumped out at you? Very personal. That's a brilliant pickup. It's a very personal letter. Yeah. You know, my dear brother, you know, he writes to the Romans and he, as he addresses the general population or the church at Ephesus or whatever. But here's to, to a brother in the faith. How would you like to get a letter from Paul? Paul to you, this, this hero of the church. For the sake of time, let me talk about one other thing very quickly. What? She doesn't want a letter from Paul. Well, there was an edge to it. He, he did say, didn't he? I hope I don't. I'm, I'm not going to. I don't really want to tell you off or tell you what to do. I'm appealing to you. Bit, but anyway, have a crack. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but one other thing, very quickly, because I, I want to finish on time. What about the issue of slavery? For, for, for people in the modern world who pick that up and read it, and it doesn't look like Paul's trying to, to uh, correct that situation as we would understand it, but it's there, isn't it? So how do you deal with that? But isn't it interesting that even in that world and their understanding of slavery, and I, my understanding of that's limited, but even in that, what was he, what was he actually appealing to on what basis? Treat him as an equal because of what Christ has done. Absolutely. Now, the, I mean, when we got to the application part of our study, for our, not only for our personal lives, to take that stuff aboard personally and then work it out in how we would deal with that, and then on as a general thing, it's very powerful. So you can be rewarded in Bible study, and even though we gave that such a little bit of time, it, it suddenly starts getting going. You're thinking all these thoughts and stuff. You, you could spend hours because there's some really tender stuff in that letter of the, way, of the way Christian people should act towards one another. But there's some pretty firm stuff. And it ends up really, it's about Paul's plea that forgiveness comes from Philemon to Onesimus and a treat him as an equal. And that, friends... Is why you and I study the book because that's the gospel, is it not? Good news. So I hope that was helpful. I commend it to you for your own study during this week. And uh, it'll be good if we prayed. Next week, I asked my wife this question on the way up. Um, if you had to choose between the law, the prophets, the wisdom literature, the Gospels, or the letters, what would you want to know more about? Anyway, next week we're going to try and delve a little bit, little bit more into those various sections of the Bible, not only in terms of the way they've come together, but 
why are those sections there? Why do, why do we call the first five books of Pentateuch, which is the Torah, the law, or the Torah, and so forth? And the following week, hopefully, we'll get into the... Well, we'll see what happens next week, OK? Would you like to stand, stretch your legs, we'll pray. Let's be on our way. Father, I want to thank you for your precious word. It's an incredibly powerful word. We've, all of us have various experience of reading all sorts of literature over, over time, watching things, assembling and uh, taking in information of all kinds of things. But then we come to your word and we're suddenly brought up square with who you are and how gracious you are, how incredibly wonderful you are, how good is your love. And then we read something even like this little little tiny portion of this great book and we're confronted with issues that, that are still going on in our world today where people need liberation and freedom. We long for your gospel to be heard in every part of our world so that kids will be free and adults will be free. So we long for it, Father. Would you uh, help us in our own study of the scriptures so that we might not just be emotionally blessed and built up, but there'll be some action going on in our lives. And like people way back in Daniel's time, those who knew their God are strong and take action. Bless us, Father, we pray. Bless your people here and those who weren't able to be here tonight. Um, And I'll pray your blessing over the whole church and the churches. Father, we we long for revival to take this land. Uh, We submit ourselves to you in the precious name of Jesus. We long to see him. One day we will. Until then, Father, fill our hearts with faith and hope and love until he comes. We pray in his name to you. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good trip home. See you whenever we do.